Hello and welcome to a Carrick Institute podcast. Today we have Professor Frederick Carrick lecturing on the topics of exercise and Alzheimer's disease. If you would like to learn more about the Carrick Institute and its clinical neuroscience programs, like the upcoming movement disorders program commencing on August 5th, 2016, please visit carrickinstitute.com. Good day, good people, and we've been very excited with a physical examination module with scholars with the Carrick Institute from around the world attending it, and many questions that have been very specific to frontal lobe disorders, uh, consciousness, different types of cognitive functions, and postural stability. So the question is, how do you treat people with Alzheimer's disease to show some benefits and the literature is uh, becoming a little more richer in this individual uh, area. Specifically, there is all sorts of interventions that one might be able to think of uh, specific to treating these disorders, but any intervention must be contrasted against some assessment tools. And when we look, especially in our discipline of clinical neurosciences, we look at a functional approach and therefore we need functional measurements. So frontal cognitive function, we can evaluate this with a variety of tools and the tool which seems to be the most popular now is the MOCA, that's the Montreal Cognitive Assessment, as well as the classic physical examination modalities of having patients draw clocks, for instance, and the use of the frontal assessment uh, battery. Postural control is really something that our group has become very interested uh, in this, and my team of uh, Guido Pagnacco and Elena Oguero and Cameron Wright have been very active in this area for some years now. So using uh, computer-assisted dynamic posturography, we can do a lot of measurements, but especially if we uh, look at dual tasking and cognitive loads during the postural test. Now, Paul Noon and uh, Carrick Institute scholars in Melbourne, Australia, will be doing a research project that will be starting this coming week where they're looking at different cognitive controls and other aspects of functional load on the brain by measuring posturographic responses to a variety of psychotic uh, visual tasks and some other things that we'll be talking about fairly, uh, fairly, fairly soon. So what happens when someone has Alzheimer's disease? Well, we do know that they get worse specific to their memory. So this impairment of memory, especially the short-term memory, uh, can be very rapid or it can occur over a period of time, but certainly it is uh, progressive. And with this uh, progression of memory, we also see that there is progressive apraxia, a decline in the executive function or frontal function, agnosia, and uh, semantic aphasia. So it's pretty obvious that with this constellation of symptoms that these processes of neurodegeneration are also going to affect uh, a variety of regions of the brain that result in the decline of cognition and executive functionality. So when we look at the decline 
of episodic memory. Uh, we consider this to be the, the big star or the hallmark of Alzheimer's dementia at the start or the beginning or the beginning of the syndrome when we can measure it. Certainly the demise was occurring before the memory loss. We also realize that memory, short-term memory, working memory is necessary to take information and place it into the long term. Now, as well as memory disturbances, we also have frontal signs and frontal signs you're very well aware of can be the motor signs of a loss of arm swing, the increased latency of a saccade, certainly the increased latency of an anti-saccade, uh, increase uh, saccadic intrusions and pursuits, and the inability to saccade to standardized targets as one would expect. So as well as these motor signs, uh, with uh, hypomemia, a decreased speed of alternating functions and gait changes. There also are the changes in cognition. And the changes cognitively that we see clinically are really surrounding a uh, attentional decline and problems in planning or organizing the activities of daily, of daily life or even just, just solving uh, problems, uh, judgment, the ability to look at things from different points of view and make decisions that would be appropriate to individual uh, problems that oftentimes are dependent upon the ability to have a working memory. So we can see these uh, frontal signs in the early stages of Alzheimer's disease and we know that we can see these on imaging and we know that there is a concomitant uh, atrophy of the, uh, of the frontal cortex. Now, when this occurs, we would expect, and we do see discrete motor abnormalities, but we also see these motor abnormalities in individuals that don't have neurodegeneration, but have concussion or TBI or a variety of individual uh, insults. Now, one way of investigating uh, motor abnormalities very, very accurately is to use a platform posturography in the dynamic format that we have a lot of experience with. And when we look at neurodegeneration or head injuries, we want to look at the uh, oscillations that occur in a variety of vectors in the Z vector up and down or from side to side in the AP axis or in the uh, medial to lateral axis. And if we look at brain injuries, we can look at postural control uh, to get a baseline with posturography and then give dual task situations that would demand some cognitive load and functioning to see if there's a change in the ability to maintain posture or very, very specifically, if, if there's a change in the oscillations about a center of pressure in one axis uh, that may be associated with uh, increased probability of falls or generally a, a decreased ability to maintain uh, stance. So when we look at this activity, we find that when there is frontal demise, uh, we expect and we oftentimes do see biomarkers using platform posturography that can really give us a good handle, not only to measure a baseline, but to measure the changes 
in function associated with our treatments or a variety of, uh, of treatments. So what is out there? Is there a magic pill or a supplement? And the answer is really not yet. There are some uh, nutritional inventories that may be successful. Nothing's really been proven in the randomized controlled trial of evidence right now. But if it's you, you might want to take some vitamin E and some CoQ10, although it hasn't been really shown uh, to be significant yet. But fingers crossed, right? Everything uh, seems to help. But what are the things that we know for sure will improve not only the frontal motor signs, but also uh, that will stop the decline or slow down the decline of executive functionality. And we do have something, and that basically is physical activity. And there's been a lot of uh, interest with this since the early studies with rats on treadmills, but there has been meta-analyses of randomized controlled trials uh, that reveal that uh, basically uh, doing exercise uh, aerobically uh, will demonstrate an improvement in executive functionality. We do know that individuals that have an amnestic mild cognitive impairment, uh, which has a, uh, an association with a risk factor of progressing uh, dementia, uh, is associated with executive dysfunction. And these also can be improved with aerobic exercise. It's cheap, it's easy to do, and it's something that we really should embrace appropriately. So there has been some studies uh, that have been very exciting, even going back a couple of uh, years ago to the Brazilian studies by the uh, Andrade and, and, and that group. Uh, we, we've got some pretty, uh, pretty exciting uh, outcomes. And um, the effects of uh, physical exercise on dual task postural controls really have not been investigated widely in humans, except for the, the original Brazilian study. And I have seen a lot of patients sent to me from Brazil, uh, and, and they do have experience with this, and they do it pretty well, and I think we can add to and complement and, and include. But the biggest thing that we find in all of these studies is not only just the inclusion of exercise, aerobically or anaerobically, the aerobic exercise being better, but also the, the addition of a dual tasking in the, uh, in the design of the exercise. So include the cognitive load. Or we would say that if you do a motor intervention that has been shown to increase stability and stance and, and also therefore gait by its uh, definition and to decrease uh, falling that if we add a cognitive uh, load uh, at the uh, at the same time that we may find benefits or at least we may find a demise when we make people uh, think and then we can uh, we can uh, identify that so what do we do things that are fairly uh, intuitively realistic for most of us where we realize that physical exercise that is associated with a, an executive functionality or frontal loading uh, should have the probability of increasing uh, frontal lobe activity uh, while at the same time increasing postural control and decreasing uh, falls. And 
we've done this uh, in the clinic, you know, from mathematical types of scenarios to uh, uh, reading out loud or to uh, playing chess or Sudoku and a variety of, of other types of uh, t other types of activities. Now, Alzheimer's now has been pretty well, um, I think, delineated using uh, DSM-4 and now the DSM-5. Uh, so we've got some pretty good numbers that we can look at. We also have dementia rating scales, and we've got some physical scales with such as the time, uh, time up and go uh, test and a variety of other types of conditions that that really uh, would fall along. So when we look at exercise interventions in people that have neurodegenerative diseases or that injure their head, we've got certain criteria that we follow and you'll see it if you're rounding with us and you're looking at a professional or Olympic athlete. We use the same sort of methodology with individuals uh, that are on their path uh, to dementia. Uh, what are these principles is basically we want to increase the motor uh, capabilities and capacities or we want to increase function and function is so very important but the function that we increase in the motor system should also be all oh, paralleled with a directed therapies to increase frontal cognitive functions. We've got a very good window because we know the frontal areas associated with motor and we know the frontal areas associated with uh, cognition. We know that individuals that develop Alzheimer's disease have an increased rate of falling. So it is again intuitive to us to look at any program of rehabilitation uh, successfully we must embrace some fall prevention strategies and uh, increase stance and increase uh, stability that is necessary to be able to simply uh, walk. So there are a lot of exercise protocols. The ones that we like to embrace are ones from the ACSM and that's a good organization to join the American College of Sports Medicine. They've got a lot of data and really some uh, fantastic uh, scholars and fellows uh, that uh, can help and assist and collaborate with, with us. So when we look at the ACSM protocols for aerobic exercises, they go hand in hand with other uh, protocols that they have for uh, exercises that are directed to increase balance, to strengthen muscles, uh, increase flexibility. And all of these in concert have found to be beneficial to help people uh, prevent their falls and to increase their mobility. In other words, if they can get around and they decrease the fear of falling, things are markedly, markedly better. But we can take a little bit further by embracing some cognitive components and the cognitive components, of course, language, speech, attention, all of the executive functionality uh, that we think of. And if we do this at the same time as our motor exercises, we should have a, a greater bang for our clinical uh, buck. So we could um, do simple things, uh, moving, moving the eyes to targets while counting the targets or counting them uh, backwards or we can do 
every other day of the month that we like to do. We can get them to uh, look at individual um, oh uh, structures or paintings or items and get them simply to to name them in individual groups, such as we do in the mini mental tasks. So you show them a picture of a lion, they'll say lion or it's a flower or, you know, the president or some individual words that they could actually look at while they're doing an individual exercise. Again, if people are having problems with these, we can do things like colors or we could uh, give them counting or we could give them uh, a variety of things that are simple and then move up to things that are more complex or associated with a greater uh, cortical uh, load. How long do you do these exercises? Well, we like to treat people in the clinic for about an hour uh, at a time, but we've got to be very conscious of uh, fatigability and their metabolic rate. So you need to warm them up for you know a few minutes, five or 10 minutes, and then uh, look at their heart rates, get them into a minimum of 20 minutes of aerobic uh, exercise. Uh, very, very important. Again, graduated exercise, just very safe and uh, get their heart rate up a little bit, but not too very much and make sure that they're cardiovascularly uh, intact. Now, that's going to uh, give us some parameters that you're pretty well aware of, but you also need to involve um, the inclusion of uh, frontal loading, we're going to call it, or, or of cognitive loading uh, for, you know, at least a half an hour uh, during these activities. It doesn't sound like much, but it really is uh, pretty darn uh, super. So you can give them specific movements of eyes, uh, saccades contralateral to frontal areas, pursuits to those frontal areas, gaze holding uh, types of modalities with movement of the head in no-no and yes-yes activity. Uh, weight training, very, very specifically, uh, weight training that can be directed by posturographic uh, shifts. If you are shifting along one axis, for instance, to the right uh, anterior and left posterior, but not to the left and right, we want to measure the abilities of their isometric lifting capacity of extensor muscles, uh, primarily in the leg and flexors in the arm, and then prescribe specific weight training uh, at that individual period of time. We don't want to overload people, so we use a DAPRE program or a Daily Adjustable Progressive Resistant Exercise Program where they will try to move a weight of X pounds against resistance, for instance, on their tummy uh, with uh, you know, knee extension or hip extension. And if they can lift the weight um, more than 10 times, you chose something too light if they could lift it less than 10 times, it was a little bit too heavy, then you adjust it, a daily adjustable one. Uh, let them have another go at it. And if they are more, uh, if they can do it more than 10, you again were too light. If less than 10, it was too heavy, then adjust it and let them do it the next day. In this matter, you can pretty well exercise them every day and you really don't need to take a day off. Whereas if you do traditional weights, you may have to give them uh, a little bit of a, a day off. But it's very, very important that when we look at activities that are designed to 
affect frontal lobe integrity that we should do things that are multi-planar. So if you give someone an exercise on a Cybex unit or Nautilus unit or something at the gym that has a variable resistant isotonic type of load with pulleys and things, then you should uh, replicate the same type of motion without a load, but introduce complexity or complex movements into the movement without resistance so that it's very, very safe to increase uh, cerebellar output uh, to the contralateral mesencephalon and hopefully uh, frontal lobe. Uh, again, um, you could do this with uh, wristbands or ankle bands with weights so you can get another load in, in spite of the individual uh, complexity. Again, when you're doing this type of activity, ideally we'd like to get them to 65% of their maximum heart rate uh, that is adjusted for their age. Uh, and this is considered to be uh, moderate. So uh, measuring of heart rate is of course very, very important. Now, before we start our exercise programs, we want to have some numbers that we can compare uh, baseline outputs and specifically uh, many mental state examinations, a, a 30 point uh, evaluated instrument that's simple to use, takes just minutes, you're familiar with that. The MOCA is our uh, test of preference now. People find it much more sensitive than many mental uh, state exams, so we use both of those. We get them to do the uh, clock drawing test and uh, also the frontal assessment uh, battery. Um, most of you have some familiarity with the uh, Weschler. Um, adult intelligence scale, and there's a subscale in that uh, referred to as the symbol search subtest, which really assesses, uh, again, frontal uh, function and executive functionality, etc. There's a variety of scales uh, that can look at depression from SF36 to geriatric depression scales and over and over and over. Now, the BACI uh, questionnaire for the elderly is going to evaluate their physical activity in their in their daily life, what they do at home and in a variety of uh, other types of conditions. And of course, uh, the biggest one for me, and I think for most of our colleagues in the clinical neurosciences around the world is uh, computerized dynamic, posturography, and anything is good, but the more accurate is really, really super because we see sometimes just millimeters of sway or oscillation. So we need to have an instrument that is going to be accurate. Again, Burtek is really super. The caps from vestibular technology is my preference and I have no disclosures uh, there and use all of these individual techniques. So let's go back to what we're gonna call the caps test or the posturography uh, test. And basically you want them to stand on the force platform. We've got certain montages. We get them just to pretty well stand as they normally would, which means their feet are shoulder width apart. Their arms are at the side of their body. And we like to give them a target. And that target is something that we can look at to uh, maintain gaze. And then classically, we do a barrage where they'll look at this and they'll know they'll do things with the uh, head straight in the neutral position and in yaw or rotation to the right and then rotation to the left and flexion extension. And then we do it with eyes open and looking at the target and then with eyes closed, imagining 
the individual target. And here's when you can do a variety of other things uh, that are uh, important. You can uh, repeat these with uh, subtraction of numbers or getting them to count back. My favorite every other month of the year is so easy uh, to, to evaluate, easier for people uh, to, to really uh, under, understand. But if you, if you look at things like the map, counting backward, that is for sure, for sure, for sure, a frontal cognitive uh, type of uh, procedure. We also can get them to, oh, even do something, like for instance, stand on the platform and um, oh, hold something in their hand or maybe write something. Uh, something that's fairly simple and 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 really not uh, and really not too uh, too taxing. Now the other thing that's really cheap and and I think is still good, even though the posturography tells us a lot, is I love to see them get out of a chair. If they can get out of the chair and walk, then you can pretty well say that their sensory motor system is intact and you can use it. So we we use this timed up and go test. People have done it for years. It's simple, simple to do. We also use um, the sit to stand test. And I love to do the sit to stand test on the caps, on the posturography. And that's very exciting, uh, a little complex. And we should actually you know, spend some time, probably a few hours and just go over that type of effect of, of what it looks like and how you actually, uh, actually you know, read that. Uh, read that type of uh, activity. And then if you get your data, which means all of your instruments, the MOCA, the posturography, uh, then you can uh, put it up to statistical analyses. Now, what we found in our group is that the data curve is, uh, is, rather, is, is normally distributed. So we have some very robust statistical tools that we can use. If in your cohort you, you don't have a normal distribution, then we have other uh, types of tools. In our publications, we've used a multivariate analysis as well as some other uh, statistical analyses to look at the interaction of the posturography and the dual tasking. And, and we're gonna be doing this in the Australian study with Paul Noon and, uh, and his group. So other people have done these things and I don't think they have done them as elegantly as you might be able to do them. But uh, basically um, what happens if you dual task people and you give them uh, some aerobic exercise? Well, uh, they, they get benefits. They increase their cognitive functioning or to say differently, they decrease their, uh, their demise. And there's interactions and correlations uh, between uh, control groups that don't do it and and uh, other and other types of uh, of groups, even with things like uh, the clock drawing test, which is you know part of the MOCA or part of the mini mental state examination, uh, they can do better clocks and things after uh, doing this type of effect. Now, if you look at posturography, there's so many things we can look at and so many variables, but we like to look at the center of pressure and we look at the um, oscillations about that center of pressure. And basically we know that if you do aerobic exercise and you do other frontal types of stimulation, whether they be hemifield or saccades or cognitive loading, that you can uh, decrease the sway around the center of pressure 
or you can uh, decrease um, the probability of them going past their limits of stability and having a fall. And this to me is absolutely, absolutely huge. So these dynamic types of inventory are very, very uh, important. So there is enough evidence out there that confirms that physical exercise associated with cognitive loading, or we're gonna say frontal uh, types of techniques, will enhance um, not only your physical abilities, but attenuate the demise associated with neurodegeneration and Alzheimer's disease, but also is beneficial in, uh, in anybody that, that hurts their, their brain and has uh, frontal uh, types of uh, compromise. The, the one thing that's important is that you can have a great brain power to be able to stand, but if you haven't been walking so well because you, you, haven't, you haven't been so stable, then you can be a little weak, uh, especially in your lower limbs. So we need to have um, more strength in the lower extremity, and these are targets that we all must consider in our, uh, in our patient. We need to be able to decrease the time of dual stance during gait which means to say that we, if we increase the amount of swing stage in a, in a gate, then we're increasing the time of single stance. And uh, single stance increases would be associated with fewer steps and greater, uh, uh, greater speed, uh, if you would, or you know, an improvement in gait uh, and, and improved uh, flexibility. And when things uh, necessitate some dual tasking, such as walking across the street, when there's traffic or optokinetic events, then we would expect to see with increased stability, less sway, a decreased probability of, uh, of an individual uh, fall. Now, the cognitive disturbances are oftentimes, you know, they're mixed across the board unless you you really pull it out. And some people have cognitive disturbances years uh, before things have, have come, up, come about. We know for sure that uh, pharmacy doesn't work uh, in the treatment of these, of these cases, unfortunately. Although there's some mixed feelings at the end of the day, um, it's not so very successful. Uh, also, uh, non-pharmaceutical, uh, in, interventions uh, may be very important in the future. Uh, we're still not out with, with that. The, the greatest thing that we can hang our hat on that actually works is the combination of cognitive and physical rehabilitation. They work much better. And if you give a, a multi-sensory uh, stimulation through vision, uh, hearing and somatosensory or you know, SSEPs or so at the same time, uh, then there's a very good uh, evidence uh, in the literature already that we can redis, uh, uh, reduce uh, the risk of uh, dementia and increase autonomy uh, and onwards and onwards uh, we go. And, and I think that this is so very, very uh, exciting uh, for us that uh, increases of, of motor capacity if you, as a consequence of exercise, if you include dual tasking and cognitive load are also associated with improvements of uh, cognition. And this type of, um, 
oh, I guess you'd say intervention is associated with increases in memory. We see this with our athletes all of the time. Uh, it's, it's really super great. Now, at the present time, there's not a whole slew of uh, good randomized controlled studies that are associated with the type of uh, functional directed therapies that we do. But with all of you together, if you're interested, we certainly can, can schedule and develop multi-site uh, experiments that should contribute to the service of humankind. So please give us a call if you're interested in implementing these things. They're really low cost and uh, they will really help us help uh, other people we're very, very interested between associations of uh, physical and cognitive stimulation at the, uh, at the same time. It's absolutely uh, exciting uh, and uh, onwards and onwards uh, we go. The, the key to this, of course, is that in neurodegenerative diseases, we need to do things that will increase cerebral plasticity in adults, and that plasticity, you well know, involves the cytoarchitectonic changes uh, in the brain uh, that are probably caused by the activation of uh, neurotrophins. And uh, there's been some significant research uh, that has been directed to measure brain-derived neurotrophic factor, uh, different aspects of neurogenesis, uh, maybe some axonal uh, sprouting, and of course, attention to the, uh, the dentate gyrus of the hippocampus, uh, specifically measured in SPECT and SPET uh, with cerebral perfusional increases as a consequence of, uh, of individual exercise. So we know um, quite conclusively that in Alzheimer's disease and neurodegeneration in rats, they do better with exercise. And certainly we have some uh, initial studies that suggest the same thing is true with adults over a period of, uh, of time. So onwards we go with, I think, some very exciting activities that will allow us to serve humankind greater. People are living longer and more people will be developing uh, dementia. The more we can do for them prophylactically, uh, the better we can do things. This is personal for many of us who have lost loved ones to Alzheimer's disease and dementia, and is very personal to all of us that uh, will become in the geriatric community if some of us are not there already. So thank you for asking me to speak to this uh, topic. It came up in our physical examination module, and I think that we're developing some very robust methodology to be able to address it. So. Thank you so much for giving me the honor and privilege of uh, speaking to this, and I hope it somehow meets some of your learning or clinical needs, and I look forward to you giving me some other uh, topics and questions that we might be able to discuss together. Thanks again. Let's listen to some tunes. One of my most favorite pieces ever uh, is the uh, Caccini Ave Maria, and this this piece is, oh man, it's so delicious and it's got all sorts of controversy. It really was uh, composed by Vladimir Vavilov right around the 1970s, but it was sort of uh, uh, thought to be have, have been recorded by uh, Giulio Caccini and uh, it wasn't.
but for many, many years, it was thought to be a, a real kachini. And this uh, was a, sort of a discovered manuscript and people went nuts for it. But then again, after uh, Vavilov died, uh, it was found that actually he uh, wrote it himself, but it is absolutely beautiful. And what I've done is I've collected, oh boy, scores of the Caccini Ave Marina uh, played by different instruments and recorded by different vocalists. And uh, listen to this one by Georgia Fumanti. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. I hope you really love it. I do. So tell me if you do. 